0: It's Friday, August 20th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is uh, David Osmond. I'm um, on the road for Radio Free Oz here in Gay Paris. And um, beside the runway, here at the celebrated salon of the notoriously controversial haute couture designer Yves saint
1: Laurent. Uh, bonjour, Yves. Welcome to my salon, David. Uh, we have just a moment before the showing starts for my latest collection, Toxic. Toxic, uh-huh. Well,
0: Yves, you're probably best known for your squid <laughs> agony boots. <laughs> you, you introduced them at your first salon back then in uh, 1980, right? Well, I have them
1: here in the case, the, the prototype of the
0: agony boot. Oh, that's the look of the 80s, the cowboy styling. The
1: fashion of President Reagan. He may have been brain dead, but the man knew how to wear that cowboy look. Uh-huh, and this exotic leather. Polar
0: bear I... hide, the stripes of the komodo dragon. Uh-huh, and this uh, very high heel, uh,
1: lucite with the flashing lights. Well, the beautiful lights were made by the agony of the squid uh-huh. who emits the electric pain every time the wear steps on the heel compressing this little petite Mollusk. Oh, wow. And, but you had to take him off the market. Peter brought me down. Uh, I told them that the squid has a happy life safe in the heel of the Reagan boot, but they put a picket line in front of my door. What What could I do?
0: Well, I, I see the showings about to begin here. Uh, the audience is very excited. You can tell me, uh, what are we going to see today in your show?
1: Toxic uh-huh. presents disaster fashions. Uh-huh. As you know, I normally design for the humans, but with the crisis in the Gulf, I, I have turned my attention to clothing for the aquatic victims of this man-made tragedy. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: so dommage. Meh.
1: It is for Isan's stool to make it right for the poor animal, n'est-ce pas? Oh, well, oh, oh, and here, here comes your first model. The exotic beauty Giselle showing my fabulous oil-repellent pelican briefs made from the freshly recycled wild bird feathers, a form fitting, as you see, for the natural look of nature in the raw. Oh,
0: that's timely, timely, Eve. And, and here comes your model, Raffaella. Ooh. She is wearing my
1: dolphin slicker. Everyone knows the dolphin doesn't look so good coated in oil, so I have designed the tight-fitting sailor costume of oil-free oil cloth with a self-sealing flap for the blowhole. Oh, aha. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: That's very, very thoughtful. Okay, now this next model, oh, she Hutton, looks, yeah?
1: showing the Turtle shell by shell, turtles and models can all live forever with this tropical carapace of million-year-old ivory, hand-carved by Froggy Island boys. Oh,
0: it's beautiful! It's beautiful.
1: Oh, this must be the
0: finale. It's about the bridal costume. Is For
1: the first time, I show the bride in bed, oh. the pollution-free, happy oyster bed. I begin with a mattress of clean sand covered with the 700-count hazmat on the bottom, uh-huh. then spill the repellent cover-up linens. Uh-huh. The flat the pillows and duvet boom Are stuffed with clippings From famous Hollywood poodles And gaga wings Oh And finally the green For sham Sham for complete protection In the season of the hurricane
0: Well, well uh, That sounds like a, a thrill But the bride herself uh, Can you describe her outfit? Of course The uh-huh.
1: money is dressed as a prototype Of the jumper jail suit In Florida orange With stripes of bio blue Oh, it looks pretty rugged It has to be I'm making it for the president Of BP Tony Hayward <laughs> you will have to wait a long, long time.
0: Well, everybody seems very enthusiastic about that. Congratulations on your non-toxic showing Yves saint Stool for Radio Free Oz. This is David Osman in Paris.
1: Au revoir. Yeah, it's Friday and the weekend ahead, so we put it to the test. And here it is, the Oz Best of the Best. This is from Talking Points Memo, Dave. To many conservatives, and you know this already, almost everything is a secret liberal plot, from fluoride in the water to Medicare reimbursements for end-of-life planning with your doctor to efforts to teach evolution in schools. It's all a liberal plot. But Conservapedia founder and Eagle Forum University instructor Andy Schlafly, does that name? Hey, that rings a bell there. Phyllis's son, all right, has found one more liberal plot The theory of relativity. Now, let's stop. Before we go into, Conservapedia founder, and he teaches at the Eagle Forum University. Now, Glenn Beck has a university. Phyllis Schlafly has a university. You know, not much of a ball team. You could
0: have Oziversity.
1: We could have the
0: Oziversity, uh, the Oziversity, Oz-iversity right and here. we'd
1: have a ball team. There you we go. We could
0: lay these friggers to waste. The printing is cheap too oh, on those diplomas. Oh, it nothing to it. it not PDFs. Not a, yeah, there right? you go. You Just... don't get
1: a PhD from Oziversity. You get a PDF. <laughs> okay. Anyway, then, yes. All right. So the theory of relativity is the liberal uh, plot. Okay. <laughs> if you're behind on your physics, the theory of relativity was Albert Einstein's formulation in the earliest early 20th century that gave rise to the famous theorem that E equals MC squared otherwise stated as energy is equal to mass times the square of the speed of light right okay sure. why does Andy Schlafly hate the theory of relativity i'm waiting to find out boy mm-hmm. am i too yeah, yeah, well yeah, right yeah. Why? we're pretty sure it's because he's decided it doesn't square with the bible oh in the entry counterexamples to relativity the authors including Schlafly write the theory of relativity is a mathematical system that allows no exceptions. It is heavily promoted by liberals who like mm. its encouragement of relativism and its tendency to mislead people and how they view the
0: world. <laughs> wait, 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 a minute! The theory of relativity exposes this this dreadful disease of relativism that that infects. Oh, yeah,
1: right. Now remember when Albert Einstein toured. Uh, Hollywood, he went to Warner Brothers uh, uh, studios and Jake Warner, what was the the, the, the War- Jack Warner. Jack Warner. Jack, Jack, Jack Warner comes up and says, Professor Einstein. He says, I love your theory of relatives. You ought to meet some of mine. <laughs> So anyway, okay. So, sorry, so, so, so why? Let's why is Schlafly on. believe that this that, re, that relativity is a problem? Okay. See, histo- because historian Paul Johnson's book about the 20th century and the article written by liberal law professor Lawrence Tribe, as allegedly assisted by Barack Obama, is full of it. <laughs> Virtually no one who is taught and believes relativity continues to read the Bible, says Schlafly, uh-huh. a book that outsells the New York Times bestsellers by a hundredfold. In other words. Reading a theory about physics is correlated to a decrease in people's interest in reading the Bible, which means it causes people to stop reading the Bible, so it is part of a liberal plot. Um, Now, well, okay. Here's the problem. All right. Why did Albert Einstein not get a Nobel Prize for the theory of relativity? For the, general, for the special theory of relativity. He never got it because Hitler had denounced it as Jewish science. Oh. So we're back to Jewish science. Not that Schlafly cares about the fact that Einstein was a Jew. It's not a matter of anti-Semitism. It's a matter of anti-thinking. You know, it's elitism. It's, it's too smart. It's too problematic. It's too deep for his little brain. Besides that,
0: it's relative. Yeah. Now, that's really worrisome. We wouldn't want to, you know, shades of, uh, actually, it's absolute, and, which is pointed out in, the, in the, 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 the conservopedia definition. right? And
1: it's burning up his little nut brain. From the gray lady. As public anger rises over the government's slow and chaotic response to Pakistan's worst flooding in 80 years, hardline Islamic charities have stepped into the breach with a grassroots efficiency that is earning them new support among Pakistan's beleaguered masses. Victims of the floods and political observers say the disaster has provided yet another deeply painful reminder of the anemic health of the civilian government as it teeters between the ineffectual and neglectful. The floods have opened a fresh opportunity for the Islamic charities to demonstrate that they can provide what the government cannot, much as the Islamists did during the earthquake in Kashmir in 2005, which helped them lure new recruits to banned militant groups through the charity wings that front for them. In just two districts in this part of the Northwest, three Islamic charities have provided shelter to thousands, collected tens of thousands in donations, and served about 25,000 hot meals a day since last Saturday, six full days before the government delivered cooked food. The West says we are terrorists and intolerant, but in time of need, we're the ones serving the people, said Maulana Yusuf Shah, the provincial leader of one of the groups, Jamayat ulema e islam Yeah, no, it's true. They are intolerant, and they are deadly, but they do know how to step in in a crisis. The fact is, one doesn't really have anything much to do with the other, except in the mind and hearts of people that they are serving. Miana Adil, the vice chairman of another group, Fala-i-Isyaniyat, said the aid he distributed at a center in one of the districts, Shera, came with a message attached not to trust the government and its Western allies. fala e insanayat is the charity wing and the latest front for lakshar e tayiba the group behind the 2008 terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India. So they can blow the hell out of women and children, right, in Mumbai, and then serve hot meals to people running from the floods in Pakistan and get good press for it. Jamaat-ud-Dawa is the political arm of Lashkar, which the United Nations has listed as a terrorist group. Not just the United States, the United Nations has listed them as a terrorist group. So by day we serve the poor and by night we kill them. Under pressure since the Mumbai attacks, Jamaat-ud-Dawa had lowered its profile, but now at least one of its relief centers in Manwali in Punjab boldly flies its trademark flag displaying a black sword what a nice thought, served by the black sword. The very visible presence of such groups shows they continue to operate openly from their strongholds in Punjab province, the nation's heartland to far-flung corners of the northeast, where they are expanding their legitimacy and by extension their ideology. Their gains come as the United States continues to struggle to win support in the region, despite lavishing billions of dollars in military and civilian aid on Pakistan since 2001 to encourage its help in fighting the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. There she is, the Bell of Wellesley, the beautiful Hillary Clinton coming with buckets of dollars to these corrupt, you know, uh, crypto terrorists hoping that they will somehow flush out Al-Qaeda and Taliban in Waziristan and the various other stands where the terrorists are making their stand. A 30-year-old tobacco dealer, Gohar Aman, said he got a taste of the nearly complete absence of the government's response when he got in his car to search for a relief post he could entrust with an $80 donation. For 25 miles, all he could find were centers run by hardline Islamic groups, an unsettling option for a man whose brothers are elected leaders of the governing secular party. Finally, he settled on the Hakina Madrasa, a fundamentalist boarding school whose alumni include Jaludin Haqqani, who runs the militant network that recruits suicide bombers to strike at coalition forces in Afghanistan from his redoubt inside Pakistan. Haqqani and his father, murderous sons of bitches. The school's leaders, including the director, Maulana Shah, had converted their buildings just off the main road in Charsada into a dignified homeless shelter, providing hot meals, medical treatment, and 24-hour electricity to 2,500 flood victims. It's our first time here, said Mr. Aman, giving a wad of cash to the director, but we see how comfortable the people are living here, and we can't trust the government. President Asif al-Zadari, already deeply unpopular, (laughs) deeply unpopular, and in Pakistan, you don't want to be deeply unpopular because you're going to find yourself deeply underground, has come in for stinging criticism for leaving in the middle of the crisis to visit France and Britain as Pakistan grappled with floods that one provincial minister said would set the country back 50 years. The worst flooding in 80 years, and the president flies off to Western Europe. I don't care if Zadari is in Europe, Mein Gul, 50, a laborer who lost his home and two cows, said in an interview. His government is in Pakistan. But where are they?
3: This is Sharzad Thumb for the Stake a Heart Foundation. I'm proud that America is making it possible for gay people to come out of the closet all over this great country of ours. Now it's time to let another oppressed minority have their day in the sun. I'm talking about the millions of vampires across the land who are yearning to come out of the casket. Let Karl Rove uncap his fangs and be the uncompromising bloodsucker he was born to be 10,000 years ago. Release John Bomer from his daily ordeal at the tanning salon where he goes to mask his natural pasty white shade of the newly dead. Allow LeBron James to reveal the real source of his amazing athletic powers and arrogant personality. Free Sarah Palin to explain why she chose to leave a state with Endless Nights. It's time we put a human face on those countless Americans who look in the mirror every morning and see no one looking back. This is Shahzad Hackerthumb for the of Heart Foundation. And you've got awes in your ears.
1: This is a story from uh, Talking Points Memo about Brian Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Go Google him. You haven't seen a pompadour like this in a long time. And you look at this guy who is one of these moral bigots, and you know he's soon going to be in the news, either taking amphetamine from bisexual massage robots. We don't know what he's going to be doing, but it ain't going to be long before this boy comes tumbling down. He's the director of issue analysis for the American family association. And he wrote a blog post on the AFA site, arguing that the United States should have no more mosques period. This is for one simple reason, he writes. It's got to be simple because this is one simple turd if I've ever encountered one. Each Islamic mosque is dedicated to the overthrow of the American government. Fisher, who is scheduled to speak at the Value Voters Summit in September alongside Michelle Bachmann, Mitt Romney, Sarah Palin, Mitch O'Connell, and a host of other Republican nut brains, writes that every mosque is a potential jihadist recruitment and training center and determined to implement the Grand Jihad. Now, we're going to go on with Brian and his palaver, but I want to tell you that Michelle Bachman, Mitt Romney, Sarah Palin, Mitch McConnell, and a bunch of other GOPers are going to appear in the same conference and on the same stage with this racist bastard and happy to do it. Uh, Fisher adds that because of this subversive ideology... Muslims cannot claim religious freedom protections under the First Amendment. They are currently using First Amendment freedoms to make plans to destroy the First Amendment altogether. This is what Hitler said about the Jews. This is straight Hitler to the Jews. It the equal sign is absolutely there. If a mosque was willing to publicly renounce the Quran and its 109 verses that call for the death of infidels, renounce Allah and his messenger Muhammad, publicly condemn Osama bin Laden, and Abel de Basad del Magrabi, the Lockerbie bomber, maybe then they could be allowed to build their buildings. But then they wouldn't be Muslims at that point. Now would they, he asks. No, I think if you deny the Quran and Allah and Muhammad, I think you've left the Muslim building. Okay, fine. This guy is just the best. He said, Permits should not be granted to build even one more mosque in the United States of America, let alone the monstrosity, planned for Ground Zero, Pompadour Fisher said. Fisher has a lurid history of writing some pretty inflammatory stuff on AFA blogs, such as that the U.S. should impose legal sanctions for homosexual behavior. Fisher said in a recent radio broadcast that Hitler used gay soldiers because they basically had no limits and the savagery and brutality they were willing to inflict on whomever Hitler sent them after was unbounded. This is the man that Sarah and Mitch and Mitt and all the rest of these GOP unforgivables are going to party with. It's the end times. You're right.
4: like an island from afar When you listen to your soul, do you feel me? Do you hear me in your heart?
1: States and cities and towns across the country are cutting back on their services because of the, the greater depression. But it's also hitting people in a very, very personal, and I would say dangerous way. In 2009 and 2010, according to USA Today, as the economic collapse shuttered across the globe, oncologists in California noticed a troubling trend. Three patients who had had serious tumors under control for as long as eight years reappeared in the clinic with massive cancer regrowth, which in one case required emergency surgery. In retrospect, this downturn in fortunes should have been predictable. The economic recession has forced the patients to discontinue a life-extending medication. So the downturn is killing us. In all three cases, the patients developed new symptoms and came in after having missed an appointment or two without us knowing that they had stopped the drug, said Dr. Katie Kelly, co-author of a letter to the editor in the August issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, which describes the cases. Certainly, we've seen an increase in affordability concerns, said Stephen Finan, senior policy director of the American Cancer Society Action Network. Very definitely, we've seen an upward trend in the last couple of years of people struggling with deductibles and cost sharing. There has been some evidence to suggest that it is happening on a wider scale, added Robert Freeman, professor of pharmaceutical sciences at Texas A&M. This not only happens when the economy turns down, but if Medicare programs run into budgetary problems and become restrictive or if private co-payments go up. All three patients described in the journal article had been taking Gleevec, G-L-E-E-V-E-C, who sat around in New Jersey coming up with that one, for gastrointestinal stromal tumors, G-I-S-T. Gleevec is considered by many to be a wonder drug, since it appears to be close to a cure for many people with a form of blood cancer known as chronic myelogenous leukemia. The drug has also extended the average survival of GIST patients from just a few months to an average of five years, the UCSF team noted. However, Gleevec costs patients close to $5,000 a month. That's out of the reach of most Americans without health insurance, and it can make Gleevec tough to afford even when insurance is available. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me that if I can't afford my Gleevec, my only, you know, what have I got to do? I can rob banks or I can just let the tumor grow until it kills me. I just don't get it, people. I don't get the spiritual state that allows other people to suffer because of abstract economic problems. It gets me so angry. It makes me Boil probably burns out all the cancer cells in my body at the same time, so there's always a happy side to everything. All three patients described in the journal had been part of the trial that led to Gleevec's approval for GIST and had been taking the drug since 2001, and all had suffered economic reversals, including job losses, that forced them to stop treatment. As a result, all experienced recurrences, often within a matter of months. Man, something has got to be done. We have got to come together. If we don't come together, we're all going to go down the Gleevik Road. We're all going to come walking into some office with something too big growing in the wrong place.
3: It would look as if the future
2: has an influence on what happens today or yesterday.
1: That Barack Obama is some guy. Uh, he just recently endorsed the controversial plan to build a mosque and Islamic center just blocks away from ground zero in Manhattan. Despite the strong objections of conservatives, say Politico, I wouldn't call some of them conservatives, fascists, bigots, hate mongers, closer, but I guess conservatives will have to do. Both them, the ADL, the, and the anti-defamation league, anti-defamation league, should call them sometimes the anti-definition league, who, um, uh, are against the mosque for their own particular reasons, and those who lost loved ones in the September 11th attacks—not all who lost loved ones, in fact, many of them—are for the mosque or neutral on the issue. So don't get the idea that it's you know all of the people who who were victimized by 9/11 are against this mosque. Ground Zero is indeed hallowed ground, Obama said at a White House dinner celebrating the Muslim holiday of Ramadan. But let me be clear: as a citizen and as president, I believe that Muslims have the same right to practice their religion as anyone else in this country. That includes the right to build a place of worship and a community center on private property in lower Manhattan in accordance with local laws and ordinances. Man, he is absolutely straightforward on this. Having steered clear of the controversy for weeks, Obama took on opposition to the mosque directly, a move that many other Democratic lawmakers had been hesitant to do in the face of highly emotional appeals against the the construction hesitant is cowards. Okay. Let's talk about cowardice versus bravery, but polls indicate the issue could be a high voltage third rail for politicians who support the project. Yeah. A recent CNN poll found that 68% of those surveyed did not approve of building a mosque so close to where the world trade center towers fell, killing more than 2000 people as if nine 11 was a Muslim plot, in other words, not a plot carried out by people of the Muslim faith, but somehow some sort of official Muslim plot, the way that, for example, the the Pope may have put together the Crusades in the 12th century. No, there is no centralized Muslim uh, hierarchy. It's totally private. That's its its advantage and its great disadvantage. You can't reach out and say, let me talk to the chief Muslim in the world. Let's get this taken care of because this person does not exist. As perhaps the White House had anticipated, the reaction from conservatives and at least one September 11th rescue worker was swift and angry. Uh, Most echoed Rick Lazio, the Republican gubernatorial hopeful who helped draw national attention back to the ground area mosque by using it against the Democratic rival Andrew Cuomo. And he says, President Obama and Attorney General Cuomo are still not listening to New Yorkers, as if he is, right, suggesting that the backers of the project have obscured their true motives and funding. This is not only a mosque, it is a cultural center, and it is being promoted by a group who are absolutely peace-loving, just the opposite of any any whiff of jihadism. In his speech, Obama cautioned against drawing comparisons between mainstream Islam and the ruthlessly violent ideology of al-Qaeda, which he said is a gross distortion of the faith right on. Our capacity to show not merely tolerance, but respect for those who are different from us, a way of life that stands in stark contrast to the nihilism of those who attacked us on that September morning and who continue to plot against us today, he said. eloquent on the button. Obama spoke before a group of about 90 people, including Muslim community leaders, ambassadors, dignitaries, and Representative Andre Carson, the Democrat of Indiana, one of the two Muslim members of Congress. After his statement, a number of individuals reportedly rushed to the stage to shake Obama's hands following his unexpectedly direct endorsement of the mosque. The project, spearheaded by the Cordoba Initiative, An organization that works to improve the relationship between Muslims and the West proposes that a 152-year-old building be demolished two blocks from ground zero to make way for the new Muslim community center and mosque. Now, opponents have argued that if constructed, the mosque would be a painful insult to survivors, rescue workers, and families of those who died on September 11th. Good. A community center is a painful reminder to them, right? Proponents countered that the presence of a mosque so close to the center of the attacks would be a powerful signal of American religious tolerance, a counterweight to the terrorist attack. At the same time, they argue that blocking its construction violates the constitutional right to freedom of religion. And again, they are right. On, oh, yeah, the wing nuts are after it, oh, the Sarah Palin, oh she said it, it what that's a stab to the heart, she said in one of her many Twitters. I mean, they really are Twitters when she does them because she is America's chief twit. America is really afraid that. China is going to be ahead of them in the let's go green and make some money off the industry race. We oh. hear it all the time. Yeah, they're they're way ahead of us in this one. Well, yeah, it's sure the are. Chinese. And, you know, it may in the long run be true. You know, they've just been declared the second largest economy in the world ahead of Japan now, right? Now well, they are, yeah. Yeah, but see
0: what uh, that does is if you have – there's only one party there. That's right. There's only one party. And it one goes party all day says, and all night. Make it green they make it green all day and all night they have those wonderful posters of little boys and little girls making it greener all the time all the
1: time and if we, we and, shall
0: have green or, or and at the end they home. look
1: around and they say it's green and if they say it's green it's, it's green. green oh okay. yeah Beijing yeah. Okay. Beijing's announcement that it'll shutter more than 2,000 polluting steel mills and other industrial energy hogs <laughs> by September 30th might look like one more sign that China is moving up fast in the global race to go green now I've been to China a couple times and I'd heard about how bad this stuff was they have these open hearth cement making facilities that not only turn out more pollution than even the open hearth coke furnaces down in Fontana that Kaiser once used to build all those Liberty ships, but they turn out the worst concrete in the world and those buildings from the Stalin era keep falling down, right? You don't need an earthquake, you need somebody to beep their horn to go by, na 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 all the buildings come down. All right, so... But it's not true. They're not, they're not so good. Lately, important figures like President Obama and newspaper columnist Thomas Friedman have been warning that the People's Republic is far outpacing America in eco-friendly technology. In fact, oh yeah, cool. fact creeps in, uh-huh. the East is not so green. A new study shows that in the first half of 2010, China's air quality actually deteriorated for the first time in five years. Acid rain is pervasive in 200 of its 440 cities, and more than a quarter of the country's surface water is contaminated. <clears throat> now, when I, I did some stand-up you know, in, in Beijing, I went there. There was a gathering of international businessmen. The person who put the conference together said, come in and do some stand-up. So I ended up doing stand-up comedy in Mao's old summer house in the middle of Beijing. Remember, there's a picture of me in his bomb shelter. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I got yeah. up there and I said, yeah, you know, we just did a party on this penthouse down there in Beijing. And it reminded me of L.A. because I couldn't see it. And I have never experienced smog like Beijing smog. You could not see halfway across the street. Well, I was going to say when
0: they closed to 10,000 steel mills, I said that was only in one neighborhood.
1: That's right, right. And that's little backyard stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now China's swarms of new cars and industries are damaging the environment faster than the country's efforts at green retooling can save it. It reminds me of the the old cartoon about the guy with a huge car that he's, uh, you know, the guy's uh, filling up his tank at a gas station. He says, turn off the motor, it's gaining on me. (laughs) You know, the most popular car in China is a Buick anyway. Black Buick, it is. All the officials have them, right? The greening of China has been massively overstated. Venture capital for clean tech initiatives are only 2% of the global total in the past quarter, barely a tenth of the U.S. share. Unfortunately, this is one race the whole world could lose. It's true. Pete, you know, they're
0: far too busy. They're still making underwear and T-shirts and You know, pants cuffs and doing those very useful sort of things with their hands to
1: keep everybody busy. You mentioned something which is like you know they were making so many T-shirts so quickly for us that when the bottom fell out, they've got a whole bunch of T-shirts from that moment back in October of 2008 promoting individuals that by the time we bring the economy back, I mean you know really it's going to you know Stone Temple Pilots or whatever it just isn't going to be there anymore. We just aren't going to need them anymore. You know, or you know. Retro Foo Fighter t-shirts. Oh, they'll
0: come back another 10 years. If you're you're clever, you'll store those Retro Foo Fighter t-shirts for another 10 years. With the
1: Mao jackets. With, oh, well, those. (gasps) Oh, Foo Fighter Mao jackets. Well, now that's a melt. Skyscraper value. President Barack Obama and the Democratic Party, who have been starved for good news through much of 2010, finally received a generous helping as the 2010 primaries wound up, or are winding up. Republicans, meanwhile, were left with several new reasons to wonder whether all the favorable national trends showing in the polls are enough to overcome local candidates who are inspiring little confidence about their readiness for the general election 12 weeks from now. In each of the four states that held primaries Tuesday, the GOP put candidates on the ballot who are tarnished by scandal, gaffes, or some significant vulnerability. The headline victory for the Dems belonged to Senator Michael Bennett, the Colorado Democrat who, with extensive help from Obama and the party establishment in Washington, galloped to a surprisingly wide nine-point victory over challenger Andrew Romanoff. A former state House Speaker, Romanoff, once looked well-positioned to rally liberal discontent and give the White House a very visible black eye. He didn't come across with that. But the party establishment showed it still had some fight, even in an anti-establishment year. And Democrats, in an assessment that many independent analysts tend to agree with, said the most favorable news for them may have come from the results of the Republican primaries. The GOP nominee in Colorado will be Ken Buck. A county prosecutor and insurgent conservative whom Democrats will try to paint as a Colorado version of Sharon Engel, the Nevada Republican whose uh, rhetorical stub toes and strident ideological profile have weakened GOP prospects there. Weakened? She's going down. Colorado results combined with Tuesday's returns in Connecticut, Georgia and Minnesota and other recent primaries suggest it may be time to scrutinize a treasured 2010 storyline. Hey this is a storyline that all you journalists have been parroting for the last year because you get paid by the week and you have to write and that that storyline is an angry electorate determined to punish insiders and professional polls of all stripes rushing to embrace ideological insurgents. It's not that this narrative is all wrong, but it appears to be significantly more true among Republicans than Democrats. Buck, for instance, was favored by some Tea Party activists, but opposed by much of the state and national party leaders. Buck's caught on tape remark that he ought to be elected because he didn't wear high heels wasn't enough for Lieutenant Governor Jane Norton to close the gap in their primary, but it'll certainly be used against the Republican nominee in the general election, particularly when they find out that he indeed does from time to time wear high heels. Republicans also didn't do themselves any favor in Colorado's gubernatorial contest by narrowly nominating Dan Mace. GOP leaders had hoped that former Representative Scott McInnes, who had uh, become embroiled in a plagiarism scandal, would win the nomination and then agree to drop out, allowing the party to tap a new nominee who would give them a better chance against Denver Mayor John Hickenlooper, who by the way is many points ahead. So there's a great strategy, let's elect someone who's unelectable, then he'll drop out and we'll find somebody else who's more electable, but look, the Tea Party guy who's totally unelectable won after all. These people are up the river with no paddle whatsoever. But Mace is indeed unlikely to quit, and his recent suggestion that a Denver bicycle sharing program may threaten our personal freedoms and lead to greater UN influence has only amplified Republican fears about the contest. Now, wait a minute. I've been doing Oz pretty regularly now since the middle of April. And I've heard a lot of crazy confoundia from the GOP. But wait a minute. How does a bicycle sharing program not only threaten our personal freedoms, I could possibly go there, I don't know how, but how does it lead to greater UN influence? Wait a minute. I thought it was the black helicopters. Now it's the shared bicycles. I
0: can't stand it. Oh my goodness, how I do love them birds. Yes siree, this is the Reverend Bill Barnstormer at the first non-sectarian church of science. Fiction. And speaking of sex, well, who isn't? And say thank you for that. Right now, well, they're talking about sex in state capitals, supreme courts, and even the Pentagon. Now don't kid yourself, dear friends, That whole Adam and Eve lesson is about not having sex with each other, except to have children and say thank you for that, even if the kids do kill each other and can't seem to hold on to a job. And so, our dear friends and neighbors who who righteously believe that Marian is is only and exclusively between a so-called man and a self-professed woman of opposite genders, well, dear friends, that's because the other kind doesn't make children say thank you and their unspeakable ways of of copulating are no fit subject for man or beast or or worse so there's only one answer those of us who oppose same-sex marriage are are all surely just disgusted by the oral genital way of life not to mention Body parts that I, I won't mention, and say thank you for that. Now, now on down to the Pentagon. Well, you know, since our army learned how to rebuild whole societies, societies that were formerly known only only to readers of the National Geographic, right, right from the very village schoolhouse right up onto the military compounds that are bigger, bigger even than an Arizona border subdivision. Well. That army needs school marms and, 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 I don't know, visiting nurses and nutritionists and and wives. So it does not need good men having to, to look surreptitiously around that big naked locker room full of naked men to see if other men are looking at them surreptitiously. It's bad for the morale and it shrinks body parts. I want you to know that, so please, dear friends. If you profess to be gay, and some of my former close friends were, are, well, just stay out of the U.S. Army. There's nothing gay about war. And say thank you for that. This is Reverend Bill Barnstormer. Until next time.
1: This is from the Grey Lady. General David H. Petraeus. The commander of American and NATO forces. Of course, there are very few NATO forces. There's a few, but mainly it's Americans there's a few also, I think, Lithuanians and Poles there also, have begun, he's begun a campaign to convince an increasingly skeptical public, including mem, that the American-led coalition can still succeed here, meaning Afghanistan, despite months of setback, saying he had not come to Afghanistan to preside over a graceful exit. Well, I promise you, General, there will be an exit, and it won't be graceful, so don't worry. In an hour-long interview with the New York Times, the general argued against any precipitous withdrawal of forces in July 2011, the date set by President Obama to begin at least a gradual reduction of the 100,000 troops on the ground. Now, wait a minute. McChrystal gets canned because he drinks too much Bud Light lime on the bus from Paris to Berlin or whatever. He brings in Petraeus, the savior, who immediately says, I don't care what presidents say. Come July 2011, we're going to be there if we have to be there. Oh, man, there's going to be a problem here. He said that it was only in the last few weeks that the war plan had been fine-tuned and given the resources that it required. Gobbledygook. For the first time, he said, we will have what we have been working to put in place for the last year. Yeah, uh uh-huh. General Petraeus even appeared to leave open the possibility he would recommend against any withdrawal of American forces next summer. Well, if they leave, he leaves. He ain't got a job. General Petraeus said American and NATO forces were making progress on a number of fronts, including routing Taliban insurgents from their sanctuaries, the ones that aren't busy stoning people to death, Reforming the Afghan government, we'll hear more about that later, and preparing Afghan soldiers to fight on their own, usually each other. Now, they're preparing them, they didn't even say training, just preparing them mentally to leave the house, stop growing poppies long enough to shoot at the people who have already grown poppies and have come back, put on the turbans and are shooting at them. It's pretty complicated out there. Petraeus said he believed that he would be given the time and material necessary to prevail there. He expressed that confidence despite the fact that nearly every phase of the war is going badly. Despite the fact that every phase of the war is going badly, is there a bell going off in anybody's head? And even though some inside the Obama administration have turned against it, i got to find out who those people are. Go shake their hand. The president didn't send me over here to seek a graceful exit, General Petraeus said at his office at NATO headquarters in downtown Kabul. My marching orders are to do all that is humanly possible to help us achieve our objectives. And as he changes the rules of engagement, he'll be doing everything that's also inhumanly possible to achieve his objectives. In the interview... Petraeus suggested that he would resist any large-scale or rapid withdrawal of American forces. If the Taliban believes that will happen, he said, they are mistaken. And the subtitle is, if Obama thinks that's going to happen, he also mistaken. Clearly, he says, and this is a quote, the enemy is fighting back. Oh, you noticed. Sees this as a very pivotal moment. Believes that all he has to do is outlast us through the fighting season, the general said. That is just not the case. No. He's going to last you through the fighting seasons. Among other things, the general is fighting to preserve his own legacy. That's right. I mean, you know, he's Mr. Perfect. If he fails, who's left? As I said, we can exhume the corpse of General MacArthur. Right? Old soldiers never die. They just come back to Afghanistan to keep the fuck up going. Okay, so uh, he's fighting to preserve his own legacy based on the dramatic turnaround he helped orchestrate during the war in Iraq. They're really doing well over there now as we slowly take all of our troops, no, actually not all of our troops or all of our bases or all of our uh, contract players out there. Things are, of course, coming apart at the seams. The hallmark of that strategy was its focus on protecting civilians, even at the expense of letting insurgents walk away. In Afghanistan, that approach is coming under growing criticism, mainly from people who regard it as too expensive and open-ended. Some in the Obama administration have been advocating a move from counterinsurgency towards a strategy focused on hunting and killing insurgents. This is part of the Shadow War, which you'll hear a lot more about on us. There's a marvelous long article in the the New York Times, which I'll be, uh, you know, talking to you about it is maybe afghanistan is not obama's war but it's his shadow war around the world general petraeus has imported some hands from the iraq days to help him oh this is good news brigadier general hr mcmaster one of the most innovative officers in the iraq war has taken charge of a task force assigned to attack corruption Where, at West Point, do you learn to attack corruption? Do you go back and study like Grant's attack on corruption? Do you go back to Thermopylae and find out how the Spartans attacked corruption? But that's not all. He's bringing the big guns. Frederick W. Kagan of the American Enterprise Institute. This is like capitalism on steroids think tank. And I use the word think lightly. Kagan, one of the fathers of the surge... And more recently, a critic of the Afghan government has come to help as well. What is he going to do? Go talk to Karzai and his heroin dealing brother and go and pat him on the fanny and tell him to get straight? I really wonder.
2: Ha <laughs> ha. This is dead life. It's how we live 24 7, 365. Check me. Gas station glasses, don't care what the masses think about me with my sweet goatee. I'm rocking my dockers with a cuff and a crease. I got that St. John's Bay and the clip for my piece. I look nice, I got dozens of dollars, and that's right. It goes straight to my daughters and my wife. I'm a miracle dad, making magic with the checkbook is the talent I have. I roll hard in the yard with a 60 inch cut. Zero turn radius, my neighbor say, what? They be driving by, peeping my landscape. Yo, these greens, got nothing on my manscape. Hydrangeas, what? begonias, no. crape myrtles, ornamental turtles. Hold up, is that a weed in my fescue? Oh, no, round up to the rescue. It's the dead life, it's the dead life. Take my daughter to the party. it's the dad life, it's the dad life, it's the dad life, shooting vids of the kids, it's the dad life, roll up to the splash pad, 10am, my whole entourage, Pops out the minivan We spushy-spushy for an hour or two Then it's back to the house yeah. Prepping for the barbecue bros dogs, rack ribs, whatever Get me on the Weaver, man, nobody does it better Call me Lord of the Grill I'm king of the coals Nana secret recipe You know how I roll 1080p, 16 by 9. I'm rocking man cave status with a screen like mine. Keep your peanut butter hands off my 50-inch physio. Pop up the corn, roll the Disney video. you close your eyes. We gotta lend. Jasmine, Abu, the Genie With kids like mine, everybody wants to be me Sing a nightlight song and then it's off to bed This is the dad life, no more to be said It's the dad life, it's the dad life Hit the mall, coaching ball It's the dad life, it's the dad life It's the dad life, playing rough, fixing stuff It's the dad life, it's the dad life It's the dad yeah, you know how we do it. It's the deadlife.
1: Talking Points Memo says it was a perfect summer day at the Dachau concentration camp. There's a contradiction in that sentence somewhere, but I won't go there. The clear skies and pleasant breeze seemed almost offensive, and there, beneath the main monument, a bronze sculpture of writhing bodies intermeshed with barbed wire, was an uncommon sight, a group of Muslim leaders prostrate in prayer. At the end of the service, prayer leader Muzamil Sidki, imam of the Islamic Society of Orange County, California, offered up an additional prayer, We pray to God that this will not happen to the Jewish people or to any people anymore. This, by the way, is a good story. The unusual trip was the brainchild of Marshall Brager, an Orthodox Jew and a Republican who served as a senior official in the administrations of Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. He says, there is a view that there is growing anti-Semitism in the Muslim world, reinforced by people like the president of Iran, that there is growing Holocaust denial in the Muslim world, explained uh, Breger, now a law professor at Catholic University. In the light of that, the idea was to offer education to those who might not have the kind of knowledge that we've had about World War II and the Jewish community, and to do this in a public way. Muhammad Majid, imam and executive director of the All-Dulles Area Muslim Society, a mega mosque in the Washington area that serves more than 5,000 families, is preparing an article on Holocaust denial for Islamic horizons because of this trip. The magazine published by the Islamic Society of North America, he says, no Muslim in his right mind, female or male, should deny the Holocaust, said the Muslim leader, a native of Sudan. When you walk the walk of the people who have been taken to be gassed, to be killed— how can a person deny physical evidence something that's beyond doubt? The delegates met with Max Mannheimer, a survivor of Auschwitz and Dachau, before being guided through the camp. The visit to Auschwitz and to Birkenau two days later included a meeting with Wilhelm Brasi, a non-Jewish survivor of Auschwitz, who took photographs inside the camp for the Nazis, including some for Josef Mengele. My, what a job. He said, these imams all have significant constituents in American Muslim communities as recognized legal scholars, this is Breger talking, people with mega mosques, people with radio shows, people on the web, people who reach out to youth. He said that the Jewish community, in contrast, often looks to engage with Muslims who meet specific criteria but do not have large constituencies. So he's turning that around and and to a good end. At several points during the trip, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was invoked, as well as the perceived linkage between the Holocaust and the creation of the State of Israel, and that often makes the Holocaust itself a difficult topic in the Muslim world. Some acknowledge that this posed a potential impediment to widespread acknowledgement of the Holocaust in their own community. Well, we're just going to have to get through it. There's just no two ways about it. Trips like this, uh, documentaries, weblogs, whatever it takes. People have got to know what went down. But that's got to work on both sides. It's not just instructing the Muslim world about the Holocaust. It's also instructing the non-Muslim world about the difficulties that the Muslims themselves are undergoing in Palestine, around the world, on the other end of the American drones. One suggestion was that the, that Muslim acknowledgement of the Holocaust should be followed by similar initiatives on the Jewish side, acknowledging Palestinian suffering and the role that Israel's founding and the country's subsequent policies had in this. On the ride back to Krakow, participants discussed the possibility of taking Muslim and Jewish students on a tour of Auschwitz and and Bosnia, especially Srebrenica, the site of the 1995 genocide of 8,000 Bosniak Muslims, and many were killed many other places. It was also a holocaust. We want to bring youth, have them go through this and become ambassadors against genocide and dehumanizing people, they explained. They stress the importance for Jews and Muslims to understand and accept each other's narratives of suffering. It is is indeed one of the bonds that they have. One of the younger members of the group said, there's no denying that we have problems that we need to talk about, but dehumanizing the other is not going to solve our problems. I hope that both sides, Muslims and Jews, can overcome stereotypes that they have of each other. If we stick together, we will no longer be a minority. But if we continue to remain minorities, trying to stereotype other minorities— then we'll be lost. My prayers go with you.
0: Well, the last item, Pete. I just, I'm trying to rescue this before the show's over. I, I This is obscure battles around the world, and uh, your question is, where is this battle happening? Okay, okay. Right, I'm ready, right. sir. At least five government soldiers in the semi-autonomous region of Puntland were killed on Friday in a gun battle with militants near the area of Galgala. Puntland's security minister said, in a radio interview with Horseed Media, an insurgent warlord claimed credit for the killings and vowed to continue our fight until we overthrow the Puntland administration. In response, the police arrested the director of Horseed Media, <laughs> naturally, who reported on, on the story. Uh, Horseed Media is located in
1: Busaso. You got me, David. Could be in any one of those. It could be. I don't understand. It could be possibly in that area. Let me right, tell you, Pete. Well, or this, maybe it's in a lemonade stand. No, I don't know. No, this or how the, about let's let's blow this pop stand. I don't know where it is.
0: You know, this is this is where the next war is really coming from. Somalia.
1: Oh no! Yeah, Puntland. Look right, out but, for Puntland. Before man. I start meditating on that, give me some Tang, man, because I I, I just this is too much. Oh, yeah. This is much okay.
0: Too. All right. Here's. Here's a beautiful little Tang poem by Tu Fu on the
1: Feng ya Road. Good. I'm there now. I'm mm. not in Somalia with the horses. Well, you might be. Here we go. All
0: right. I remember when we fled from the rebels, heading north through danger and hardship, starting out in the middle of the night with the moon shining on the Po Shui hills and all of us on foot. Whenever we met people on the road, we felt ashamed. Now and then, birds sang in the ravines. No one was going in the opposite direction. My silly little daughter bit me in her hunger, afraid that her crying would bring tigers. I held her mouth against my chest. She wriggled free and cried louder. My son acted like he knew what it was all about, but he kept trying to eat the bitter plums on the roadside trees. Ten days we went half that time through thunderstorms, struggling to help each other in the mud. We had no protection from the rain, the road was too slippery, our clothes were too thin. Some days we couldn't cover more than a couple of miles. Our food was wild berries, our shelter was low branches. Mornings we waded the flooded creeks, evenings we crouched in mist at the sky's edge. We stopped near Tung Tia Marsh before crossing the high pass and my friend Sun Tsai took us in. His generosity reaches to the clouds. We arrived in pitch dark. They lit the lamps, opened the gates, brought warm water to bathe our feet, cut silhouettes and burned them, calling back our frightened spirits his wife and children came out to greet us. When they saw how we looked, they burst into tears. My children, exhausted and fallen asleep, we woke them so they could eat from the platters of food. You and I, Sun Tsai said, will be born brothers. And the hall was put at our disposal, and we were told to feel at home. In these bad times, where do you find that kind of trust? It's a year since we left there. The Tartars are still on the rampage. Sun I, I wish I had wings so I could fly straight to your house to see you again.
1: Yeah, well, we're flying. We're flying on RadioFreeOz.com. Oz Team makes it possible. Peter Bergman, I'm your host, David Osman, my co-host. Yo. Bill McIntyre is TVing us. He is the producer. Dave Maloney is recording us. He am the audio expert. Chaz Glass, well, he is Mr. Finance. He's teaching me all about budgets. About time I figured it out. Scott Wild does our social media, and he's growing our, our fabulous website. Go on up and check it out. John Cummins keeps us honest with the ones and zeros. Tom Gedwell makes make sure the website is chugging along. And Phil Fountain, well, he's just beautiful. See you all tomorrow when tomorrow comes.